0: This episode of the Art of manly's podcast is brought to you by RevTown. Someone who's we've had style guests on the podcast, they all say you need to have a pair of dark denim jeans in your wardrobe because you can wear this with a t-shirt for casual, but you can also wear a white shirt and a sport coat and it's going to look really sharp for a night out. If you're looking for a pair of comfortable dark denim jeans, check out RevTown, the home of premium jeans at a revolutionary price. They're using Italian mill denim infused with the perfect amount of four-way stretch. And these things are super comfortable, so comfortable and so stretchy, you can do a barbell squat in it. In fact, I've done that before. Head to RevTownUSA.com slash And you have a chance to win a total wardrobe upgrade with two Revtown jeans and three Revtown tees. Just visit revtownusa.com. That's R E V T O W N USA.com slash A O M and grab a pair of premium performance jeans today. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. To move forward in life, we typically focus on finding answers. My guest today argues that we should spend more time asking questions. His name is Warren Berger. He's a self-described questionologist and the author of the book, The Book of Beautiful Questions, The Powerful Questions That Will Help You Decide, Create, Connect, and Lead. We begin our conversation discussing why having an inquisitive mindset is more important than ever in this fast-changing, uncertain world of ours, but why people are afraid to ask questions. Warren then argues that questions don't necessarily need to have answers to be useful and explain what he thinks makes a question a beautiful question. Warren then talks us through the importance of asking questions when you're trying to make decisions, be creative, form relationships, and lead people while providing concrete examples of questions to ask yourself and others to be more effective in each domain. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash beautiful question. And Warren joins me now via clearcast.io. Right. Warren Berger, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett. It's great to be here. So you are a self-proclaimed questionnologist. You've been spending a lot of time thinking and writing about what makes a good question a good question. And, and you make the case that to move forward in life in today's fast-changing world, we need to ask more questions, which is you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because we think if we want to move forward in life, we're looking for answers. So, what is it? How can questions, asking questions, improve all facets of our life—personal, business, etc.?
1: Yeah, you know, I think of questioning as um, a mindset and, and a way of looking at the world around you. You know, with with sort of an open uh, and curious mind. And I think it's more important than ever these days to approach life that way. You know, that I'm open to learning i'm I'm going to question the information that comes at me. I'm going to question the assumptions about why things are the way they are. i'm I'm just going to go through life with that kind of an attitude. The reason I think it's more important than ever is because the world we're in right now is, first of all, you know, think about what's going on with the glut of information, right? And we all know about this situation of of bad information coming at people and distorting their their views. And so in, in a way, it's more important than ever that we be questioning just basic things like the, 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 the news information that's coming at us or the stories that we're, we're being bombarded with on, uh, on websites. So on that basic level, it's important. But I think it's also important in the larger sense that we're in a world now where everything is changing all the time. And so you know, maybe in the past, you could coast a little bit on what you knew. You know, you sort of you'd sort of go through school and go through college and and pick up a trade or whatever, pick up a a body of knowledge, and then kind of kind of coast on that for a while. But today, I don't think there's any coasting. You know, it, it, everything changes so fast that all of us almost have to be in constant learning mode. And that's why questioning is so important, because questioning is how you learn, you know? I mean, you, just that willingness to ask questions and take in new information and consider new points of view, that's what's going to enable you to keep learning, and the learning will enable you to keep adapting and growing.
0: Yeah, I like what you said about it's an attitude you take towards the world. When, you talk, when you're talking about you know, all this glut of information, it's really easy to get cynical, yeah, but it seems like questioning is is a, a positive alternative to getting cynical.
1: Yeah, it is because part of what goes on, you know, I don't know if 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 you've noticed this, but but I noticed with cynical people, they have this attitude like, oh, I've seen it all, you know, I know it all, like uh, you know, they always <laughs> they always seem to take this view, of, oh, I've seen this before, we've heard this before, you know, and so they part of what their cynicism is. Is built on is this idea that they've kind of already figured out the game, and uh, and there's nothing new for them to learn, and and that's a really bad, <laughs> I think that's a really bad attitude because that kind of traps you in your in your current thinking or your current worldview, you know. So I think it's just it's just really really important to to have that openness, you know. That's that's what's going to keep you it's gonna keep things fresh in your life. It's gonna keep you uh, open to new people, new ideas. And it is it's just gonna it's just gonna make you a, a better person overall. But what holds people back from asking questions? Because people don't like asking questions, particularly as you get older,
0: you stop you yeah. start asking fewer questions. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, there's a few things going on that you know, it's really interesting. If you look at the the research on questioning, you know, we we all kind of have heard or we, we all kind of know from experience that. Kids are good questioners, right? Kids, kids ask a lot of questions. That's kind of a known thing. And what's interesting is if you look at that, the research totally bears that out in, in terms of numbers. You know, kids who are three, four, five years old are asking just thousands and thousands of questions. And, but then what's interesting, and what a lot of people aren't as aware of, is that there's a, a, a drop off that happens. When kids get to be six, seven years old, and as they advance through grades of school, they seem to ask less and less questions. And then that continues into adulthood. So, so I think, you know, it's interesting to think about why that's happening. I think there's a lot of things that work against questioning. I, I think of them as the enemies of questioning. And one of them is just, you know, that fear of. Admitting to the world or to people around you that you don't know something. So if you're asking a question, it must mean you don't know something. And therefore, you know, we, we think, oh, well, that's revealing a weakness. That's revealing something that's lacking in us. So over time, we seem to get defensive about that and 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 we don't want to um, we don't want to admit that 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 we don't know something. So that's a big, big enemy of questioning. And then there are just other things like time. You know, we we, we get very conscious of, of having to get things done and, and move forward all the time in our lives. And, and questioning, the very act of questioning to me is a, is a kind of stepping back. You know, when you ask a question, it's like you're stepping back. You're saying, hold on a second. I want to know this, or I'm, I'm wondering about that. And to a lot of people, that seems almost like it's not productive or something. It slows things down. So that's another sort of thing that works against questioning. It's just that the, the pressure for answers and to get things done and to to just you know keep moving forward. And then you know, I, I would say one other thing that that works against questioning, and this sounds odd, but is uh, knowledge. You know, kids when they're very young. Aren't weighed down by a lot of knowledge. And so they're, you know, they're asking questions all over the place. But as we start to know more, we we start to feel like, okay, we've kind of we're starting to figure all this stuff out. And that causes us to ask less questions. And, and I think it's that's that's kind of bad. I mean, that's like the knowledge is good, but the 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 lessening of the questions is bad. It, ideally we we want to be knowing more. And also questioning more, so that even though we, we're knowing more stuff and learning more stuff, we still want to know even more, and we want to learn even more. So we have to kind of overcome that that trap of expertise, that idea that oh, I've got this figured out, therefore I don't need to ask any questions.
0: So your your first book was a more beautiful question. So what makes yeah. a beautiful question a, a beautiful question? I mean, are all questions created equal? There's that old that saying, right? There's no such thing as Dumb questions, but is that is yeah. that
1: true? I, I, well, I, I think there are there are dumb questions or, or there there are stupid questions. You know, when when I, oftentimes I'm in a meeting, and you know where the meeting is about is about uh, you know how the how our organization is going to innovate, and and someone asks a question about uh, their vacation time or something like that. You know, <laughs> so so there are there are questions that are off topic or that are. You know, self-centered and not concerned about what anyone else is 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 working on. There are definitely bad questions, you know. But I think I I enjoy to me, I one of the things I really like are naive questions, which sometimes get dismissed as stupid questions. And a naive question is when you, you know, you sort of step back and say, wait a minute, why are we doing this thing we're doing? You know, so it's like really basic, right? Like, like everyone is assumed, everyone's already figured out, oh, this is, you know, as a group, our goal is to do X. And and now we're working on how are we going to do X and how are we going to do X faster? And how are we going to do X more efficiently? And then someone comes along and says, wait a minute, why are we doing X in the first place? I love those kind of questions (laughs) because, um, on the, on the one hand, they seem very fundamental and very basic and sometimes they, they're annoying to people because they feel like, ah, that's too basic. Why are you asking that question? But what they do is they force you to regularly challenge your own assumptions or reconsider your assumptions, reconsider the thing, everyone, the thing ever, everyone thought we agreed upon. Maybe it's time to just step back and say, do we really all agree on this? And does it really make sense? And have we thought about it lately? So I love naive questions. To me, those are beautiful questions. But in general, the way I would um, define a beautiful question is a beautiful question is a question that's ambitious. So it's not like you know, oh, what color should we paint the walls in our kitchen? And that's that's a fine question, but it's not particularly ambitious. You know, I, I love questions that are ambitious, that are actionable, and that you know might bring about some kind of change. They might bring about. Change in people's thinking, or they might bring about change in the world or the change in your your company or your organization. So so if you were to ask a question like um, how might I help this organization to do a better job of communicating with each other? Like maybe you've noticed that there's a real lack of communication in your group or your organization, and you you sort of pose that question to yourself, I love that because that's a beautiful question. I mean that's ambitious, right? But yet, it's something you might be able to to actually work on and do something with, and it's a question that if you answer it, uh, it could change things. There could be a there could be a, a change that comes about because of that. So those are that's the way I define a beautiful question.
0: Yeah, I love that. My favorite questions, I think, this is kind of in line with what you're talking about. Are the questions that don't they don't have an immediate answer or they don't even have an answer at all, but like they just get me thinking. Yeah, like, those are my my favorite absolute questions.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and and they can be, those questions can come from anywhere. You know, there's a story that I tell in the, in, in my first book, a more beautiful question about the Polaroid instant camera and, and how it, it came about because um, the founder of, of Polaroid, Edwin Land, was out one day with his, with his four-year-old daughter and he was taking pictures with a, with a, a, a standard camera back in the 1940s. And of course, you know, in those days you, you took a picture, you had to, send the film out and wait for it to get processed and all. And it would be days and days before you ever saw the results. And so he tried to explain this to his daughter, his four-year-old daughter. And she asked, she said, I don't understand. Why do we have to wait for the picture? So that question like just blew his mind. It just shifted um, Edwin Land's thinking because it's like so obvious and so fundamental, but he'd never really thought about you know why, why do you have to wait for the picture? And what if you didn't have to wait? What, what if there was a way to you know, create a a camera where you could get the results right away? And that became the basis of him creating the Polaroid instant camera. So I think what's interesting is you know the questions have this power. The right question has this power to unlock something in our minds or in our imagination. That can be really amazing. It, it can do you can do this to in your own mind. you can do this by asking yourself a great question, or sometimes you can do it to other people when you put a great question out there, it can just trigger something in other people and they'll say, "Wow, you know I never thought about that that question before, but you know I'm going to think about that. that that's that's got me going
0: yeah and, and the, the one great thing about those type of questions is that you might not even get the answer you were thinking you would get. Right. If you just open, go with right. that that openness. It's like you throw it out there, and it can go complete somewhere completely different. And but the, it, it's because of the question. Yeah.
1: Well, well, the, you know what I what I think of is the 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 greatest questions, the most beautiful questions. First of all, there's no simple answer, right? You can't look it up on Google. If it's a really a beautiful question, like how am I going to bring about change in this situation or in my life, you're not going to find the answer on Google. You know. You have to sort of, as I like to say, you know, you, you have to do a different kind of search. <laughs> you know, Google's not going to help you. And, and I love that. I mean, I love the idea that, that we, can, we can and we should pursue really ambitious questions that don't have easy answers, and we don't know where they're going to lead us. You know, they may lead us somewhere that's not what we expected. That's in a whole different direction than we thought uh, starting out.
0: So in your latest book, the Book of Beautiful Questions, uh, you get really specific and offer suggestions, like with specific questions for different facets of our life. And um, the one section I found really useful, and I've been using in my own life since I read this book, is the section on, you know, making using questions to make better decisions. Yeah. Well, first off, like, how do pe- people typically let's by decisions, let's say we're talking about big decisions, like, you know, not what you can eat, what am I going to eat for breakfast today, though you can question that, right? Right. But like the things like, you know, should I take that job where I have to move my family? Right. Uh, How do people typically approach decisions like that, that without asking questions, that prevent them from exploring different options or even eliminating options, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, there's this very popular expression of, going with your gut, right? And that's what a lot of people do when they're making decisions. They kind of go with their gut instinct. And, you know, there's two schools of thought on that. Through the years, there have been a lot of people that really praise gut instinct and say, yeah, you know, you should trust your gut and go with your gut. And, you know, you remember Malcolm Gladwell wrote the book uh, Blink that was all about amazing decisions people made just in the in the flash of a, of a second, just based on a gut instinct, so there's a whole school of thought that says, you know, just make gut decisions and it's great. But increasingly the research, if you look at the, the the scientific research on this, it shows the opposite. It shows that if we are making a lot of decisions just based on our gut instinct, on what we feel in the moment, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to make a lot of bad choices. And the reason for that is that we, as human beings, we tend to have all these biases We have these inherent biases that we're not even aware of. And the biases can be things like, you know, we're biased in terms of short term instead of long term. We tend to be much more focused on what's happening right now as opposed to what, you know, what's down the road. We have a bias that's sometimes referred to as the negativity bias, where we're biased. Negative things have a much bigger impact on us in our minds than than positive things. And we have a lot of fear. So we make decisions sometimes based on fear. So the, the point is, you know, you have all these um, these biases uh, and assumptions and, and things like that that are going to cause you to make a decision that might not be the best decision. So I guess what I'm, the the case I'm making in the decision-making chapter is that you need to slow down the decision-making process a little bit if you can. Obviously, if you have to make a snap decision because of the situation, the, you know then you make a snap decision. But if you have time, you know take advantage of that and think about your decisions more. And one of the ways you can do that is by asking yourself questions and asking other people questions. It's one of the ways you can bring more um, you know sort of more information into the decision making process and open up more possibilities to choose from, more options. And it can also help you overcome some of those, some of those biases. You know, just, you know, like the uh, the fear issue when you're making a decision. Just asking yourself questions like, you know, okay, what scares me about this decision, and what excites me about it. Just asking yourself those questions to identify these these things that are under the surface. It'll help a lot. Or, or asking a question like, you know. What, what's the worst case scenario here? What, what's the worst that could happen if I make this decision and what's the best that could happen? You know, just getting yourself to think about those things will give you more information to help you make the decision. Yeah, one of my favorite questions,
0: and I've used this a couple of times on people when they've come to me with this question, was the one about overcoming the bias of short-term, long-term thinking. Because yeah. it, one of the hard things is that you don't know what your future self's going to like. No, right? exactly. Um, and you're just focusing on what you want now. And so one of the questions that I loved was uh, you know, about whether you should take a job that has a pay raise. Or whether you should stay where you're at now, because it's easy on your family, things are good. And the question was, I believe, you kind of invert it. You you ask yourself, all right, let's say you you've already you're already living in that new city, you've got that job. Let's say you get offered to move back home,
1: right? But with a pay cut. Would you take that? Would you take it? Exactly. So what that question is doing, and this is the amazing thing you can do with questions, you can shift reality, you can shift perspective. So you can basically say, okay. I'm I'm trying to answer this question or make this decision based on the here and now but what if I shift things around and I think about a year from now or I think about uh, I think about it from so, a, a different perspective in some way that allows you to just come at the decision a different way so what what uh, that 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 example you cited came from someone who who actually did that he he was you know he was he was facing the prospect of having to make a move and for a job raise or not. And what he did when he, when he made that little switch and he asked himself the question as if he'd already made the move, as if he'd already made the decision and would he regret it? Would would he go back and take a pay cut to be back home? What he was doing there. One of the things he was doing with that question was he was overcoming his own fear of moving and change his fear of change basically. So what that exposed to him, what, what, what that revealed to him was that the thing that was keeping him really from taking the job was just a fear of making a change? That's all. And when he asked the question, uh, uh, framed the question as if the change had already been made, then it was a no, no question at all. It was like, oh yeah, obviously this is what I want. So the only thing getting in the way was change. And once he realized that, then he realized, okay, th- th- it, I should take the job, right? Because because um, I shouldn't let a fear of change stop me from doing what otherwise is clearly the right thing to do. So, so, you know, that's what you can do with questioning. You can sort of reframe things. You can remove certain um, constraints just temporarily. You know, I love the question that's in the book called, what would I try to do if I knew I couldn't fail, right? That's a very popular question right now in Silicon Valley. They love to ask that question. So what you're doing with that question is you're temporarily removing the constraint of failure uh, so that you can then think about possibilities in the boldest, bravest way. And you can think, okay, I don't have to worry about failure anymore. I've put that off to the side. So what would I do? And now all of a sudden you, have, you start to have very bold ideas. You know, well, if I, if I didn't have any fear of failure, I would, I would do this and I would do that. And the reason that's so good is it it just opens up a part of your brain. It opens up possibilities that might be ignored otherwise. Now, the important thing to note is, after you do that kind of after after you think about that question and you you come up with these bold possibilities, you still have to go back and understand that failure is a possibility. So now you you go back and you, you bring failure back into the, the equation, right? You say, okay, I've thought of all these bold possibilities. Now I have to realize, yeah, failure could actually be, be an issue here. So how would I deal with it if, let's say, I did fail in this situation? What would what would be the worst-case scenario? How would I recover from that? So basically, it's, it's a really powerful way to, to allow yourself kind of the freedom to really think and really consider all the possibilities.
0: Yeah. Another powerful question that I got out of the book, and I've used it on two people that came to me with some problems, was, all right, if let's say a friend came to you with this exact same problem, what would you tell them? Right. Like, it just that that, right. that question, I guess, gives you some mental distance from your problem, which allows...
1: It's incredible. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, the the author Dan Dan Ariely has talked about this and has has showed showed the research that 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 shows that we give better advice to other people than we give to ourselves, which is weird, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like why would that be the case? Well, there are reasons for it. You know, where it's like you know how sometimes you're too close to a problem to see it clearly. You know, so that's the way we are with our own lives. Like we're too close to it to see it clearly. but but when our best friend is having a problem, that we can see totally clearly, right? We can see our best friend's situation, we know what what's in his best interests. And so we're able to make a really great decision for our friend <laughs> and to say, "Hey, I know exactly what you should do." But then when it comes to ourselves, we have trouble. So again, Here's where you can use a little questioning trick, you know, just to, just to say, how would if my best friend were facing this decision that I face, what advice would I give? How would I advise my best friend to proceed? And the chances are whatever advice you would give your best friend is also pretty good advice for yourself.
0: I love that. And there's so many more questions in that section. I love how specific they are. Um, let's move on to creativity. Yeah. Because with the robots coming after our jobs, yeah. Right. Uh success in today's economy requires creativity, thinking differently. Yeah. But the problem is a lot, as you said, a lot of adults, you know, not only do they stop questioning, asking questions, they they start thinking themselves as not creative. Right. And I think the same, you know, things that are going on and why adults don't ask questions also goes into why adults think they're they aren't a creative. Yeah. Right. they just
1: Yeah, it's 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 just something we were sort of trained, it's been trained out of us. Just as questioning was kind of trained out of us, creativity is is trained out of us, not intentionally, you know. Right. But just the the systems we go through in in school and in in the workplace tend to discourage both questioning and creativity. So so I you know I think of creativity is all about asking questions and 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 but but one of the things I I say in the creativity chapters, let's start with the most basic question of you know. Am I creative? Right. Which is what that's the that's the first question to deal with if you want to unlock your creativity. Is you got to deal with that that question that people wonder about is, gee, am I really creative? I don't know. And the answer to that is yes, you are. You know, we all are. And so you almost have to stop asking that question and reframe it a little bit as what are some of the ways I seem to be creative? And try to identify that. Try to identify where your where your creativity naturally seems to come out or seems to uh, flow. And the other questioning you can do around creativity is, you know, one of the big things I I talk about in that chapter is that a lot of times creativity is about just finding the right problems to focus and work on. Artists are always trying to do that. Innovators, inventors are always trying to do that. They're trying to find that problem that that something that's lacking in the world something that's missing a voice that's not being heard a device that people need and they don't have you know so you're kind of just trying to ask you know what is the what problem can i make my own what problem can i take ownership of and work on and and so that that's that's a big question and then in terms of finding that in terms of finding what it is you might want to work on you know, you just ask yourself questions like, you know, what stirs me or what, or what bugs me? You know, what are, what are things I see out there that and it, it drives me crazy? I say, why hasn't someone done this? Or, or why doesn't anyone ever present this point of view? Look for the things that, that somehow uh, raise your uh, emotions a little bit or, or, or really, really engaged. And that may be the area where you want to search for a particular that you want to tackle.
0: We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This holiday season, treat yourself to a higher quality underwear with Saks, the underwear that puts all other pairs to shame. Saks is the only men's underwear that is actually designed with our anatomy in mind. Their patented ballpark pouch has these internal mesh panels that keeps everything in place. There's no friction. And we're having to adjust yourself. You're just super comfortable. Plus, the fabrics they use are super soft, breathable, and moisture-wicking. They repel BO and keep you fresh all day. Once you try Saks, you will not want to go back to wearing the old stuff. My go-to is the Kinetic Boxer Brief. Super comfortable, especially during those hot, humid Oklahoma summers. If you'd like to try this out, I got an offer for you. Shop from anywhere on SaksUnderwear.com and get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase when you use promo code AOM at checkout. Saks is the perfect gift holiday for yourself or anyone else, so order today at SaksUnderwear.com. Underwear.com. That's S-A-X-X-Underwear.com. That's Sacks with two X's. And use promo code AOM at checkout to get $5 off plus free shipping on your first purchase. Also by Blinkist. If you're like me, the list of books you want to read is never ending and there's no time to read them all. Thankfully, our sponsor Blinkist has solved this problem once and for all. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements. So you can read or listen to them and expand your knowledge and all under 15 minutes, anywhere, anytime from your phone. The way I've been using Blinkist lately is this. If there's a nonfiction book that I've read before, but I want to review myself, refresh myself on the, the key takeaways, the main points, I'll go to Blinkist, open it up. They've got thousands of books. They've have, for example, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We just did a series on that book on the website, Getting Things Done, Thinking Fast and Slow, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, who's been a two-time podcast guest here. The list is, goes on and on. So these are all books I've read before. What's great about Blinkist, I can go back and review those main points, refresh myself. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash manliness to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash manliness to start your free seven-day trial. One more time, Blinkist.com slash manliness. And now back to the show. Yeah, I think you mentioned, I think it was David Kelly, the guy at IDEO. He keeps like a notebook. Yeah, Yeah, He keeps like a list, like a notebook of like annoyances that come up throughout the day. Yeah.
1: so every so when he's walking around, every time he finds some annoys him, like you know the the fact that uh, certain kind of doors have to be pulled out instead of pushed in or or whatever, um you know he he will he will make a note of that. And you know his his company is they're always working on innovations. They're always working on new ways of designing things. And uh, so he's he's just got this long list of things that he thinks could be better designed. And and I think all of us can can find things like that. Now it doesn't mean that we're gonna we're gonna change every little thing that annoys us, but it, it just means you are you're looking for areas of opportunity. And somewhere among that in that long list that you start to compile, there may be something that you can actually decide, you know what, I'm not just gonna complain about this. I'm gonna to try to do something. I'm gonna to try to take ownership of this particular problem or this particular challenge.
0: Yeah, one thing I've read about creativity is they've done these experiments with kids and adults where they'll you know give them a box of just stuff. And mm. the kids end up coming up and they had to like you know solve a problem with just random right. stuff, It'd be like a hammer and a piece of cardboard or paper towel tube. And the kids are able to come up with a lot more solutions than the adults. And they think it's well. They say it's because you know when adults see a hammer, they think, well, you just hammer nails with that. A kid sees right. a hammer, they are like they don't know that. That's not incre- you know encrusted in their brain yet. So yeah, some other and- questions would just be question making assumptions about stuff, you know, or asking questions that challenge the assumptions of everyday life, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, the other thing that kids are really good at, and and um, we can all learn from is uh, kids. Kids will just try stuff, so they won't think about it. They won't. They won't like um, you know worry and and be paralyzed by what should they try. They'll just go ahead and try it. So what they're doing there, it's interesting. They're, they're acting on their questions immediately, right? So there, there's, if you could see inside their head, you know, they're saying, what if I try this? Okay, let's try it. What if I turn this upside down? Okay, let's turn it upside down. So they're constantly questioning, but then they're also acting on their questions really quickly. And turning them into little experiments, and that's one of the reasons why, if you give a kid some type of a little building project, you know, with with you know some funky raw materials, you know, duct tape and and straws and things like that, they're they'll be able to build something much faster than a uh, an MBA graduate, uh, you know, would be able to do it because they just are they're just natural born experimenters. And they'll start, they'll start trying stuff right away. So I think of that as a form of questioning too. I mean, they're, they're always in that mode of, Hey, they're always in what if mode, you know, what if I try this? What if I try that? So another area you talk about in the book are relationships. Relationships. And questions
0: and relationships. And mm-hmm. that, I think, again, people don't ask a lot of questions in relationships because questions are scary. Uh, they're afraid of the answers they might yeah. find out, or they're afraid that the question will come off as too intrusive, challenging. Um, but you argue that you no know, questions can actually really strengthen relationships, both personally and in business.
1: Yeah. They, they, it, it, it's questioning. The, questions seem to do three things that are important for relationships. They Number 1 they show interest. So when you ask a question you're showing interest in the other party. Number 2 they create understanding because as you ask questions you get information back, you understand more. And the third thing is they just they build rapport, you know, because they they create conversation, they generate conversation which in turn builds rapport between the two parties. So I think of those as like the three three legs of the relationship stool, right? <laughs> the three legs that a relationship can, can be built on. And it's, it's really interesting because it, it, it matters and it works both with new relationships. So people you're just meeting as well as established relationships you know, people you might be really close to, you know, it, it's, it's important in either case. If you think about it with a new person, yeah, you want to show interest. Yeah. You want to create understanding, and build rapport. That's, that's all really important to creating a new relationship with someone. But those things are also important with your girlfriend of 10 years or your, you know, your spouse or your, your brother or your, your father-in-law or whatever, you know, it's, um, it, you want to, even though you've known that person for a long period of time, you still want to show interest. You still want to create more understanding and you still want to have that rapport, so I think questioning is just—it's a really, really valuable uh, tool for that. People worry about it that it's it might be intrusive or something when you ask people questions, but it's not really the case. Um, for the most part, people are flattered when you ask them questions, as long as you ask the questions, you know, in a in, in the right way. I mean, the questions should be coming out of curiosity, you know. Um, they should seem somewhat authentic, like you really are interested. You know, if if you're asking kind of rote questions, that like, what's up? You know, those don't that those those don't have that much power. But if you're asking questions that really seem to have really seem to show interest and curiosity, generally people love that because hey, they 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 love that someone's curious about them. Right. Well, I mean, you highlight this uh, Arthur Aaron. I, mean, I think his like his
0: list of thirty six questions you can ask that can yeah. possibly lead to yeah, love. Yeah, he
1: he did he he's been doing these experiments for years. He's a he's a uh, psychology professor who's who specialized in intimate relationships and whether people could build intimate relationships, essentially whether they could fall in love with each other by by talking to each other in certain ways, <laughs> and and one of the things he found was that. Um, asking questions of each other. If two people, you know, or let's say getting together for the first time, they're on a date or something and they ask questions of each other, it was really, really powerful. And then he started trying to figure out well, what kind of questions are the, are the best ones. And he came up, he ended up coming up with 36 questions that were, you know, they're all about like, you know, if you could, if you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would it be? Or, you know, how would you describe your relationship with your mother? And there were these sort of questions that that got at deep beliefs and feelings that a person might have. And he found that if two people did this these thirty six questions with each other, it was pretty amazing. By the end of the by the end of the experiment or the, the question asking session. They, um, they felt very close to one another. A, cu- a few of them actually did fall in love. One, them, one couple got married after they did his experiment. And so, but his point was, again, coming back to that idea that just by showing the interest is, is really important. And then by creating an understanding, you know, the questions, if they're good questions, will help you start to understand this other person on a much, much deeper level. So I, I think it's really valuable. Um, I think guys, especially guys can really benefit from this, this information because I, I think women tend to be pretty good question askers, especially let's say on a date, you know, women, women will tend to ask questions, but guys, a lot of times don't. And, and I don't, I'm not sure. I, I think it may have to do with guys sometimes feeling like they have to make a good impression on a date and that the way they're going to impress someone is by, you know, telling stories or telling jokes or, or, you know, whatever, just kind of showing, showing something about themselves. So they tend to forget about asking questions. And, and so they're missing a really, really important thing, a really important element that could really help them build uh, a rapport with the other person.
0: Yeah. And I, one of the, Insights I got from there I was really powerful. Is like you can start off with those superficial questions that you usually do on a first date, like how many brothers and sisters do you have. Mm-hmm. But then you go deeper and be like, what What made you the most different from your siblings? Right.
1: right? Exactly. Yeah. The, the the deeper you can go on questions, and um, and you know, people people worry about deep asking deep questions too soon. But you know, one of the one of the people I quoted in the book said, you know, he. He believes just jump right into the deep end, <laughs> the deep end of the pool, because, you know, there's, there's no point wasting too much time on the, a lot of surfacy, you know, shallow questions. They're really not going to, they're not going to get you that much information, but as soon as you start to ask a, a fairly deep question that really gets at someone's feelings or what makes someone special or different, as soon as you start to ask those questions, that's when you're going to start to be making a connection. With that person, and you know, I, I, I think most people will welcome it. And if someone doesn't welcome it, then maybe that's a signal too. Maybe that means that they're really not that interested in you, right? Yeah,
0: and, this, and as you said, this works for also established relationships. Like one of the questions I got from the book, and I as soon as I read it, I was like, I asked my wife this question. It was, uh, "What's something you've always wanted to try but haven't done yet?"
1: Mm, and yeah. she's like,
0: "That's a great question." Yeah, and like exactly. we had this great conversation.
1: Yeah, and and what's so funny is you know we we assume we know so much about people that have been in our lives for a while and what what you will discover through that kind of questioning is boy, there's a lot you don't know you know because it just doesn't come up in day-to-day conversation so there's the it's a really great way to you know just to surface things that you probably should be aware of but aren't aware of
0: so another uh, related to relationship is this you know this idea that we live in an intense time of political polarization. Yeah. Do you think questions can bridge the gap between people on different sides of the spectrum?
1: Well, they can help. You know, I mean, right now it's, you know, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, it's tough out there right now. There's a feeling of like we're just there's a wall between us and and you're either on one side or the other side and you know, it's it's a it's a difficult time, but I think you know, any attempts to reach over that divide are going to have to involve questions. They're not going to involve statements. Statements won't do it. You know, the problem we have right now is that both sides have their statements. They have their ideas. They have their beliefs. And when they try to communicate with each other, the way I envision it is like their statements are butting heads. (laughs) Their statements are just banging into each other and nothing good happens. Nothing good comes of it. So, by changing those statements to questions, we at least have a chance of starting to make a connection. Again, you know, going back to that idea of what do questions do when you ask someone else a question? Number one, you're showing interest. All right. Number two, you're trying to create some kind of understanding. And then number three, you're building rapport. So, we have to show interest in people who are on the other side from us, you know, we, we may be inclined to say, I don't care. I don't, I don't agree with them and therefore I don't care. But if there's going to be any progress at all, you have to show interest. There's a great line that someone in the book used, which is um, Lynn Nottage. Um, She's a playwright. And she said, I try to replace judgment with curiosity. So when you're encountering someone of a different point of view, instead of automatically judging them, try to bring curiosity into the equation and curiosity would be, you know, why do they feel the way they feel? What, what are some of the factors that might be going into that? Is there anything in their viewpoint that I should think about or I should consider? Is there something I might be missing that, that, that they're saying, is there something they're not saying that is kind of under the surface? So I think if you bring that kind of curiosity to your interactions with other people, um, people on the other side, it's at least a start. You know, it may work, it may not. It all depends on how receptive they are to your curiosity. But if if they are receptive to it, then they may turn around and ask you some questions too. You know, um, okay, why do you feel the way you feel? And at least when you get onto that level of conversation, you're starting to exchange information a little bit instead of just Lobbing uh, you know grenades at each other
0: yeah, I think that's a good uh, point to make that you know go you need to go in the mindset that you're not going this isn't going to happen you're not going to convince someone
1: no no absolutely that, exactly that's a great point because everyone right now is is in that mode of i'm going I'm going to beat you up with facts and I have my set of facts here, and my set of facts is so strong that there is no way you will be able to resist well sorry, that doesn't work. <laughs> we know that doesn't work. Um, when people have made up their mind about something, yelling at them and citing a bunch of facts at them, unfortunately it doesn't have much impact. They kind of have built up a defense against that and they have their counterfacts that they will come back at you with. So, um, so you need to get beyond that kind of thing, that thing of like, I'm going to argue you into my point of view and you need to instead be thinking in terms of, okay, is there any common ground we can find? Is there anything we can agree on? Because that will be the, the beginnings of a, of a dialogue, at least. And if there is a goal that you're trying to do through questioning a, a person of a different point of view, the, and it's a very modest goal, you just want them to consider your side just a little bit. That's all you don't want them to come over to your side you don't want them to accept your side totally but if you can get them to just for a minute think about your side of the of the of the issue that's a victory so that it's a small victory but it's a victory because at that point they've gained a t- uh, 10% you know they've gained a tiny bit of understanding of your side and and that's that's a good start yeah i mean a question you
0: can ask for that i think you you mentioned in the book was is there anything about my position that you find attractive.
1: Exactly. That's right. and- a very powerful question. Another way that, that, you know, another trick you can use with questioning is, uh, you know, you can say, here's my position, you know, on a scale of, of one, to f- one to ten, or uh, how much do you disagree with it and how much do you agree with it? And th- the reason that's a really effective question is because if people, even if people disagree with your point of view, rarely will they put it at the lowest number so they won't say oh i give your your point your point of view i give a zero i don't usually they'll say well on a scale of 1 to 10 i'll give your point of view maybe a 2 and then you can say okay why are you giving it a 2 what, what is it <laughs> what is it that that gives it a 2 instead of a zero and at that point you're forcing them to articulate the positives in your argument. You're almost, a, you're almost forcing them to articulate your side of the argument a little bit. So again, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a way to make that little shift of perspective where all you want someone to do is to think about your side just a little bit. And by the way, you should be doing the same thing with their side. I mean, it's not fair to think, I want them to think about my side of the issue a little bit without also saying, I'm willing to think about their side a little bit too.
0: Yeah that uh 1 to 10 trick that reminded me it's completely unrelated to you know polarization but uh Tim Ferriss, we had him on the podcast a while back ago. Yeah one little trick he had was when he goes to a restaurant and he's asking the waiter you know is is this is this meal good is this dish good he asks uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 um uh, what would you rank this dish but you can't say 7. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Cuz that forces because usually people is like yeah. oh you know it's a seven that's that doesn't really tell yeah. you anything, but like if it's a nine, that means it's really good. If it's six, then uh, yeah, just forcing good. him
1: to sort of make that choice. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. yeah. <laughs> yeah. so and, and, and what he's doing there again, is using questioning as a great way to, you know, kind of manipulate thinking or you know, shift thinking a little bit or um, you know force a different perspective on there. And that's just that's the power of questioning. what it all all boils down to is, you know, what you're trying to do with questioning a lot of times is just shift perspective a little bit. You know, we, all of us tend to have a narrow perspective. We're looking at things just through tunnel vision and you know, what you want to do is open it up a little bit, open up that tunnel vision a little bit. So you see more, you consider more, you take in more information and you have more possibilities to choose from. You have more points of view that you're, you're considering you want to do all those things, and questioning helps you do all those things. You know,
0: the last section was about leadership. Leaders need to ask more questions, which is counterintuitive because we think of leaders as you know the people that have the answers, right? The buck stops with me. As yeah, true. Yeah, but you. Yeah, why, I think why, that's, why, yeah, why do leaders yeah, that, need to ask questions?
1: I, th- I think that's kind of the old model of leadership, right? It's it's uh, you know the the idea that the leader has all has all the answers, and to some extent that that's still there is still uh, a number of leaders who still operate that way today, but I think it's there's a new model of leadership that's that says you know you should be a questioning leader. The reason is goes back to sort of what we were talking about at the outset about this sort of changing world we're in now, where everything is happening very quickly, um, change is going on all the time, and the idea that a leader can have all the answers is is sort of obsolete. You know, I mean, a leader in today's world should be uh, very open to new information, should be uh, soliciting uh, points of view from all around him or her, and should just be questioning, why are we doing things this way? Or uh, wh- how, how should we react to, to this new change that's going on? A leader today just has to be a questioner, has to be curious, and has to be open-minded. If not, it, what what the leader is going to do is lead lead people off a cliff because what what will happen is the leader will be operating in a very limited with very limited information, with a a very sort of biased point of view about what works and what doesn't. And it's almost bound to fail in the the world we live in today, yeah. and
0: this is not to say that leaders don't have a vision, right? Leaders have a vision, yeah. but they ask questions to get to that vision.
1: Yeah, and and they they question that vision constantly as they go along. So they ask questions to establish the vision, you know, starting with what is my vision, <laughs> pretty basic, right? But, you know, you do have to you do have to ask yourself that and articulate what do you really believe, you know? Why why are you a leader in the first place? Why do you want to be a leader? And and what are your sort of core values, right? So you need to ask those questions in the beginning and articulate that vision but then you also need to be questioning that vision as you go along because you know as i was saying it's it's like change is so constant now that the vision that you came up with at the beginning of your venture whatever it is might not hold up as well now as it did a few years ago and maybe it needs to be changed or you or just fine-tuned in some way but um but that's that's one of the things that a leader has to do now is be willing to say okay you know last year i thought this but this year i'm thinking more we, we should be doing more of this and that's okay that's actually what you should be doing now as a leader you should be totally open to that kind of adaptability based on the change that's going on It doesn't mean you're wishy-washy. It doesn't mean you don't have that core vision. You can still have that, those core values, that core vision, but it has to be much more adaptable now, it has to be more flexible. You see uh, people leading companies now who are having to ask questions like, you know, what business are we really in? You know, like last year we thought we were in the shoe business, but now people aren't buying shoes the way they they used to. And maybe we need to adjust the model. So I think it's it's just become kind of a fact of life for leaders now, and it's challenging because it's it's uh, it it requires almost a different skill set than leaders are trained and are used to um, uh, using, um, you know that 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 top down model of leadership where you're supposed to make snap judgments and then and then execute them. It, it's it, this is a different skill set. This is, this is more of the questioning leader is more of, has to be someone who's willing to um, you know show a little bit of vulnerability, which old leaders necessarily weren't used to and didn't like to do. You have to show that you, you have to be willing to admit that you don't have all the answers and that you're open to, um, to new points of view. And you have to be confident enough to do that and believe that people will still follow you. Right. So I guess the question that a leader should constantly be asking is, why? Why are we doing this? Yeah, why are we doing this? And uh, again, on a, on a personal level, why? Why me? Why am I, why am I leading this organization? You know, that's, that's a pretty basic thing. You find a lot of people sort of fall into leadership positions or they, or they, they climb up to them because it's a natural, uh, it's sort of a natural outgrowth of their career advancement. They, they just climb the ladder and eventually they're the leader, and then they look around, and they go, Whoa, this is <laughs> not necessarily what I wanted. So, um, so I think leaders need to even be asking that basic question of, you know, why do I want to be a leader? Do I really want to be leading this group of people? And and do I want it for the right reasons? Because if you don't want it for the right reasons, I mean, if 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 the answer to the why question is all kind of selfish, if it's like, I want to be a leader because it pays more money, you know, um, or there's a lot of glory. I'll get on the cover of, of, a business magazine. If you have those kind of selfish, uh, reasons for leading, those are not going to serve you well in terms of your followers. They're, eventually your followers are going to get wise to that and uh, you're not going to have uh, uh, loyal followers uh, eventually. So I think it starts with asking, you know, why do I want to be a leader? Do I have the right motivations? And then it's it moves to the organization. You know, what are we about as an organization? What should we be about? What should we stand for?
0: Yeah, I imagine it's scary to ask that question because the answer could be like, well, maybe I shouldn't be a leader.
1: And- oh, yeah, definitely could. And there's a lot of people out there who are leaders right now who shouldn't be. Um, you know, one of the things that you see in companies is um, the star performer often ends up the leader the person who was the greatest salesperson in the history of the company you know ends up being the leader and sometimes what you discover is that really great salesperson probably should have stayed a salesperson because once they become a leader it's a whole different world and now instead of it being all about them and their their individual results or their individual performance now they're suddenly responsible for a whole group of people. And as a leader, this sounds counterintuitive, but in some ways you have to step back and, and step away from the spotlight because being a leader is not so much about individual achievement anymore. Now it's about sharing credit with other people, um, you know, worrying about other people's performance as opposed to just your own. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing and not everyone is cut out for it and i think some some of these star performers at companies it would be nice if they realized that and by the way it would also be nice if organizations figured out ways for those people to still prosper and be very successful without becoming the ceo yeah you see that
0: issue with founders of companies they found they're really good at yeah. starting companies but then they want to yeah. maintain you know still be ceo but they're not a good ceo
1: they're not a good ceo and if they're smart they will Outsource that to someone who is a good CEO. And you know, some of the smart ones do exactly that. I mean, they they realize, hey, I can't handle this. I'm going to find someone who knows how to be a leader, and I'm going to let that person actually run the company. But you know, a lot of people, th- there's ego involved there. And a lot of people, I don't know, they they feel like they can do anything, and they they're not honest with themselves about, what they really are good at or what they really want to do.
0: Right. It's a, it's a bias, a curse of expertise. Like you think you're
1: good at yeah, one thing. Absolutely. You'll be it's good at it's that feeling like I can do it all. Right. Well, Warren, this has been a great
0: conversation. There's some place people can go to learn more about the books and also maybe a place to go find some questions that they can start using today.
1: Yeah. Well, my, my main site that I, uh, that I use is a more beautiful question.com. So just take those Four words, a more beautiful question, and just squish them together into one word and a dot com. And, and you've got the site that basically has my new book, The Book of Beautiful Questions, featured on it. But it's also got all the articles and essays and things I've written, the research, the data. There's some fun stuff on there. Like um, I, I created a list of all the songs I could think of that have a question for a title, you know, like who wrote the book of love and things like that. And i uh, I'm up to, I think, I don't know, 60 or 70 songs now, but you know, there's all kinds of fun. There's there's quizzes you can take on what kind of a questioner are you, but it's, it's basically a, a clearinghouse for all of my information about questioning and uh, anything that might be related to questioning. And so that's the place to go. Well, Warren Berger, thanks for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Brett. I really enjoyed talking to you. My guest
0: today was Warren Berger. He's the author of the book, The Book of Beautiful Questions, available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his book and his work at amorebeautifulquestion.com. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash beautifulquestion, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, you've got something out of it. I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you would think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.